you can do anything when you love yourself. Hi, everybody. My name is Jenna Phillips Ballard. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a boss babe. I am someone who I would like to consider a, a leader in the world of transformation, emotional intelligence. And the biggest thing that I really can connect to at this point in my life is I've built companies. I have, I have two companies right now. I have a, a multiple six-figure mastermind. I have a seven-figure leadership academy. So those are all things that I've done, but what I can really say, the thing that I'm most proud about is that I'm, that I'm a mom, that I'm an amazing mom and I love my kid. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super, super busy. So to my audience, and basically what I want to ask you is what you weren't taught about life. I wasn't taught that you can literally get through anything. Um, and that, that applies to uh, healing from trauma that applies to healing from sexual trauma that applies to being bullied in school that applies to um, even even like becoming a mom I mean losing a part of my identity and trying to figure that out but I, I would say that the thing that I that I that really kind of anchored me in my capacity to move through anything was when I was in a, I was in a head trauma accident when I was 17 years old I was uh, unconscious in a coma woke up from the coma with brain damage and basically not even anywhere near what the doctors said. I and mean, my, my whole prognosis of myself was that I can get it through anything. I mean, they said I was not going to be able to graduate from high school on time, but I was super clear that, that I was going to do that. I made up my mind that that was what my outcome was going to be. And so I didn't waver from that. And, and I think that this, it really supported me in becoming an entrepreneur because I've reinvented myself so many times. At one point I was a celebrity trainer in Los Angeles um, and I reinvented myself many times in that whole process. And, and then really like what I'm doing now, launching my emotional intelligence leadership Academy and also my mastermind and like all the things that I'm up to now, you, you gotta be able to pivot. You gotta be able to reinvent. And people think that success looks like this, like this, this straight up line, you're, you're starting at point A and then point whatever is just at the top of this mountaintop but it's, it's just not that easy. I mean, you, you're going to encounter so many breakdowns and so many breakthroughs all throughout your journey. And so that's just the biggest thing is like people, when they, when they get tired or they feel like they're up against something, sometimes what they do is they quit and they don't keep going. And what I am really skilled at is learning how to rest and not quit because it's important to be able to, because it is a marathon. I mean, of course you're going to have short sprints here and there, but the long game of being an entrepreneur, it's, it's nonstop. I mean, it really is a, a really serious focused mindset. And you also got to be able to unplug and, and not be on your phone for an entire week from here, you know, every, every once in a while. So taking a break from social media, um, giving yourself three days sabbatical where you're not, you're not answering any phone calls. You're not answering any text messages or emails. So the biggest thing is, is really learning how to rest and not quit and and pivot and reinvent and take the blows because they're going to come your name is going to get dragged through the mud i mean people are going to have perceptions of you that are not in alignment with your intentions and so it's really learning how to how to continue moving without without really getting knocked down by the things that are going to come up because that's just part of being an entrepreneur 
So when you got injured and everybody was telling you that you can't do this, you won't be able to do these things, you let that drive you to achieve those things. A lot of people, you know, operate out of like anger and other places, right? Because they're trying to prove everybody else wrong. But just knowing you as a person, like how did you use that and kind of like shape that to push you forward and still be so positive and not so mad at everybody that's doubting you. I mean, I'm, I, can I say the F word on this podcast? I'm not going to. Um, but I do remember when the doctor said like, you, you're not going to be able to, I was like, you don't know me, like watch me freaking do it. Um, and it, it just really was a, it was, a. am super competitive. Like I'm super, super competitive, but I found that to be like a healthy competition for myself. Like watch me do it. I know that I can do it. And, and I'd never felt that way. I mean, to have somebody doubt me at that level, um, because my, my, my intention was really clear. Like I wanted to be able to walk with my class. I was class of 2000. I wanted to graduate with my class and I'd never applied myself in such a way that school was important to me. Like I didn't, I, I was ditching all the time. I was at a, a, a time in my life where I was ditching school to go smoke weed and smoke cigarettes and just, I was not healthy. I didn't have like the, like a healthy mindset. I wasn't treating my body with respect. I, I really was honestly going down the wrong path. And so the accident in and of itself completely was a wake up call for me because I woke up from my coma, a completely different person. I mean, I literally woke up happy because I, prior to the accident, I was depressed and, and all this. And so I think that that what, that's what was needed in order for me to have this wake up call, like this figurative and this literal wake up call, where I realized that I get to be super grateful for life. I get to be appreciative and in gratitude. And so I had this, just this connection to source, to the universe, to God. I mean, I really connected to that higher power in, in a really beautiful and powerful way um, while I was in my coma, while I was asleep in my coma. And so I, it, it's almost like I had this, this new kind of soul spirit energy step into my body because I woke up with this new zest for life. Like I woke up just literally a different person. So that whole thing was the best thing that ever happened for me. And so people, when I tell the story, cause I also was diagnosed with type one diabetes. I didn't know that I had it. So I'm in the hospital in a coma. Doctor's like, Oh, you're type one diabetic. I had no idea. So the whole thing was like this beautiful blessing. And so um, I, I just really found the sense of motivation that I'd never, I'd never experienced before. And, and, um, once I, you know, was complete out of the hospital, I was doing cognitive therapy and I was just so focused and so consistent and so determined because I remember, I mean, looking at a four letter word that was, that was mixed up. And my, my job was to unscramble these four letter words. And I mean, that's like first grade stuff. And it was yeah. so challenging for me. I'm a, I'm a senior in high school. And it was so challenging for me and, and simple things like, um, you know, like the cognitive therapist would, would say, okay, tell me how to make spaghetti. And so now, I mean, that's a pretty basic thing. I mean, you boil water and when it reaches a boil, then you put spaghetti in like all the steps, right? And you do the pasta sauce and like all the stuff. And I couldn't do that. And I knew that that's something that should be easy, right? So I'm like yeah. having this experience. I'm like, oh man, I was just so committed. And so I was so focused and I really, really stretched myself and pushed myself and, and being in that repetition and having that consistent practice of applying myself and, and knowing that I could ultimately do it, do yeah. that thing. Um, I think that was the biggest thing that really kind of shifted the way that I did things because I, I wasn't a hard worker. I mean, I was 
my school came easy to me. I didn't really have to apply myself. I easily got so and so fine grades. But when I went back to school, I never missed a single day the rest of the year. And I did my homework with diligence and I was just so committed, so focused. And I graduated with the highest GPA that I ever had. And so call that a coincidence, call it whatever you want. But it was really in the application and the consistency and the commitment yeah. and the urgency and the focus that really had me realize that it was up to me to either graduate on time or not. It was my decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was just a huge shift of perspective for you. For me personally, like when I had my son, when my son was born, he made me shift my entire perspective. And I know you understand that as well. But you just understand, I watched this kid grow and I understand that he was born to be successful. That's what I tell people all the time. We are born to be successful. We're consistent, persistent, relentless. They say things over and over again until they get their way. They ask questions over and over and again until they get the answer they want. Do it over and over again until they get it right. We were born that way. It's just at some point in your life, somebody told you uh, maybe failure is a bad thing or they made you fear failure because they told you, you better not fail, you better not fail, you better not fail a million times. And eventually you don't want to try anymore. You start to doubt yourself. But we weren't programmed that way. That's not who we were. So my question to you is, what were you taught about life and what caused you to go down that wrong path before you had this turnaround? Yeah, it was a series of things. And I, and I, I actually, it's interesting because I, I, my parents never really pushed me to get good grades. Of course, they were encouraging of that, but I never had that, never had a lot of pressure from my parents to exceed in school or do well at honestly any given thing. They wanted me to be myself. And so there was that, but there was also a lot of challenges because my parents were going through a really hard time with their relationship. They divorced when I was 16. So that kind of began this whole, I would say like a tailspin of, of doing drugs and drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes and smoking weed and just kind of hanging out with the wrong kids. And I was also in a really emotionally abusive relationship at a very young age. So 15, 16, um, very interesting time for me to have that experience at such a young age, but um, I was in that relationship. And so there were just so many compounded things and experiences that were just really challenging for me. And um, I also watched my parents, my parents' marriage have a lot of challenges. Like my, my dad, none of his businesses were successful. Like he'd open a business and it would go for a little bit, but then it would fail. And then he'd open up another one and then it would fail. And so yes, it's entrepreneurialism, of course, like we have those experiences, but he didn't have the long game. And my mom, I watched my mom be just like, she was a hustler. Like she was selling encyclopedias. I remember going door to door with her she was, while I was a little kid and she was selling encyclopedias door to door. And then she was waiting tables and then she was selling skincare. And then she was like, she was always selling something and she freaking hustled. And I watched her hustle. I watched her be a full-time student and also wait tables and my dad's business failed and she was doing everything she could to provide for our family. And then she got a, a job working at a, an art gallery and she sold a million dollars in art in one year. Oh, wow. And then she got promoted to be a manager of an art gallery in another city. So we basically moved from my mom's career and then she found an investor and she opened up an art gallery and she opened up another one and then mm -hmm. another one. And then she had six art galleries, my mom. That's so I'm awesome. watching my mom be this breadwinner and be this powerhouse. So my dad is like fish out of water because you know, I mean, my parents met and they had this little amazing, cute little life in this tiny little ski village. And so my mom was a model and my dad was a ski instructor and they met, fell in love, got married six weeks later. My mom gave up limousines and Studio 54 and like all the things that, that New York City has 
to move into this little tiny log cabin with my dad. And so it's very romantic and charming. Didn't last based on results, but you know, I mean, they did their best. And 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 that's the thing is like everybody at any given moment is honestly doing their best. And and I watched my dad do his best, but also come up against a lot of challenges. And so um, and that was really challenging for, for my dad to his ego, like watching my dad's yeah. ego be hit so many times while my mom is like killing it and crushing it and making all these things happen. Yeah. Um, they're just, they were just very different people. It's happened to me a lot, a lot in my life. And my son, like I told you, has taught me the most important life lessons of all. And to be honest, I was on that same path. I was super lost before my son came into my life. But as a kid, I, I didn't really take no for an answer. I was the high school kid that was like, when you met me, I was probably, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. I just ventured out into LA and I was alone. You know, I really didn't know many people. You, you were the first, what, two or three people that I met, I think, yeah. honestly. And that was the kid that was very confident, but then a lot of failures came and eventually I started to tell myself that I can't take risk anymore because I don't have enough time. I think that's a big uh, lie that we tell to ourselves all the time is that uh, I'm too old, I'm getting too old, I don't have enough time. Or when kids come around, you have kids or more responsibilities come into your life, you tell yourself, well, I'm a father now, I can't fail. I'm a mother now, I can't fail, I can't take that risk. But I've had to constantly remind myself that it's that failure and that risk that got me here in the first place. That's the only reason I'm here today. So when I hear your story and I hear how you had to completely reset after a tragedy in life, which I believe tragedies make us closer to other people and personal tragedies make us closer and more connected with ourselves and who we are. And you came out with a new perspective and the people around you, did they accept that or did they try to like label you and pull you back? It was really interesting. I, I remember um, when I came back to school, I made a point to go up to all the all the the kids that I had any beef with, any like challenges with, or um, if I was ever unkind to anybody, that I apologized for that and really went out of my way to kind of make amends because I just had this 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 heart opening. I was just like a different person, and so that was my girlfriends didn't like that. Like they weren't they they uh didn't approve of that they didn't appreciate that it caused a lot of drama between us because i was really kind of going out of my way and so um i just remember there was this one time i uh i was the chief editor of the yearbook for our high school it was a, a lot of responsibility and so because i was out i was i was away some of my responsibilities got passed off to somebody else and so um when i kind of came back to school i remember there was like this whole thing about making a request to have the spread be be done in a certain way and then one of my friends just is this compounded annoyance that I was back and kind of you know showing up and being this bright shiny object and happy and just positive and all this stuff and she literally said she was so frustrated like out loud in front of the whole class she's like I wish you never got in that stupid accident because I was a different person like I was just a completely different person and so oh. things like that and um and you know I just my my new level of honestly maturation like i just i matured so much in such a short amount of time and and just my new respect my appreciation for people and and it just it really really triggered some of my friends and so that was that was definitely a part of it like i definitely felt that disconnect and felt that separation because there was a gap there was a new gap between me yeah. and and the friends that i used to be super unhealthy with and toxic with and smoke weed with. I mean, that mm -hmm. 
all that shifted for me. So it really was noticeable. Yeah, I think that's important to kind of point out right now. When I when I talk to kids at um, leadership summits is what we call them, and we'll gather kids into a room, about 20, 30 kids, and we'll let the parents and the teachers and principals, we'll let them pick these kids ahead of time. And mm -hmm. they're the kids that we've asked them, you know, pick the most inspirational, or not inspirational, but most influential uh, leaders on campus. And usually what happens, I walk in the room and everybody's like, are we in trouble? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, why do you think you're in trouble? And they say, well, because we're the bad kids. You know, he's in here, she's in here, I'm in here, we're the bad kids. And who told you that you're the bad kids? And every time, they don't know. They just got in trouble a couple times and they labeled themselves the bad kids. Now they can only do what bad kids do. They've limited themselves. Little did they know that they're in there because people looked at them like leaders. And I yeah. think so many times in our lives, we label ourselves, whether it's the group or the people that we're around, or it's other people's labels that they've placed on us, kind of like that kick me sign on your back, you know, and you're walking around and you don't know that you're labeled, but you feel like it on the inside. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to peel these labels off. For example, the leadership summits take us two to three hours to get these kids to just shift a perspective and just peel back yeah. that label and see that that's not who they are. So for you to wake up and just have it's removed, you know, and it's shocking to everybody else. They're literally just trying to slap new labels on you over and over again, you know, like, like you're a traitor, like you're, you know, you changed on them, you know. And, and so for me personally, just imagine that and trying to put myself in that situation, it would be really hard because I would, you would feel alone, you would feel disconnected. So what was the next step on how you got connected, how you got new friends, how you met the new group that had the new mindset that matched yours? I would say that it just, it was a small town, like a small school, it wasn't, it wasn't a big school. So I think the biggest thing was really being in the practice of um, just still staying super committed to my true self. And they kind of came around eventually. Um, but I also, I, I just started dating a, a guy who I was deeply in love with at the time. And he was a couple years older and I just, I spent a lot of time with him. And so it was kind of a little bit of that where I just, you know, I just really focused my energy on, on where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be with. And so we had, we had those breakdowns, but I didn't waver. I didn't wait. I didn't, I didn't go back into those old ways. And so that was really powerful for me to be resilient in, in like owning my truth and knowing that like when we are committed to that, the right people, either they'll come around or they'll fall away. And so if they do fall away, the right people will come in into your life. And so I think that's like the biggest thing is people are afraid of being alone as they grow, as they make new discoveries, that they have new realizations, like they're, they're afraid of being alone. They're afraid of old relationships fading away, but that's, that is one of the most natural things to occur when we are experiencing growth and transformation. So that's part of it. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons of, of being on a transformational journey, but there's, there's no other way to be. I mean, if we stay stuck in our old patterns, our old limiting beliefs and old ways of doing things, then we're never going to grow. And so if you look at, at the end of the day, what is more costly, I'd say to not move forward, to not create a new path and make new friends is honestly, I mean, those are, those are the prices that we got to pay. So you got to look at the cost of that, the prices that we, that we do pay, what's the reward. And so, you know, the reward of, of transformation and growth is that we step into our fullest expression of ourself and we experience really owning like 
the the whole reason why we were born. I mean, our soul assignment, we all have an assignment. And so the, my assignment, my reason for being born is, is so clear to me. And so if I am in fear of stepping into the fullest expression and fullest experience of myself and being judged or not understood or, or misunderstood or whatever, then, then I'm only going to continue to play small. And so at the end of the day, that is my choice. That's up to me. No one can make that choice for me. At what point in your journey did you realize that, okay, this is my purpose. I know what it is. And, and to you, what, what is that exactly? Well, I think that the, my message, so I I said that I've reinvented myself many times. I mean, I was a personal trainer. I I did fitness for 10 years. I, I worked with celebrities and really powerful people in Los Angeles. Um, my message has always been the same, that you can do anything when you love yourself. And the same applies to what the work I'm doing now. I mean, I've, I've worked with kids, I've done transformation for children. I mean, breakthrough leadership workshops for children. Um, that totally completely lit my soul on fire. But I, for the most part, I work with adults. I teach people how to build powerful, successful businesses, um, how to deepen their relationships, how to have responsible health and, you know, healthily communicated relationships. And so there's a lot that I do. And the, the basis of that is emotional intelligence. And so when you are yeah. emotionally intelligent, that's the secret sauce to success. And so whether it's scaling your business from six figures to multiple six figures to seven figures or multiple seven figures, like the mindset that you must adapt in order to get to the next level is it's all emotional intelligence. And if you want to have healthy, abundant, supportive, loving relationships and a powerful tribe of people who are going to support you, that's all emotional intelligence. I mean, if you're going to be an asshole, like that's, it ain't going to happen. Like, yeah. yes, I know the people who are a-holes have people around who are yes people and they don't, they don't get power, you know, powerful, constructive feedback, but it's like, if you really want to truly have it all, like if you want to have a healthy mind, a healthy body, a healthy soul, and a healthy environment and a healthy family, it all comes back to loving yourself enough to have emotional intelligence and then love everyone else around you. That's beautiful. I love that. Emotional intelligence is being smarter than your emotions, yeah. having a clear, clear understanding of where the trigger is coming from. So we all get triggered as human beings. We get triggered, we get pinged, we get knocked, we get rocked. We're like, oh gosh, you know, if someone is a jerk or someone cuts us off while we're driving, we have a multitude of options. We can either be completely neutral and be unaffected by that, or we can get really angry and then flip them off or cut them off or honk our horn or flash our lights and put on our high beams or whatever that is to express our rage or our emotion, our response to their action. And, you know, for us to be unaffected by other people's actions is like, that's freedom. And so giving ourselves permission to understand where the sadness is coming from, where the rage is coming from, where the annoyance is coming from, where the judgment is coming from, where the assumption is coming from, where the expectation is coming from. Like it all comes from something. It all comes from a source of an experience that we had at some point in our life because, and, and here's the thing, this is the, this is one of the most important things that is not taught in schools is emotional intelligence 
because yeah. we create these interpretations when we have these experiences when our parents get divorced when we're five or our dad forgets to pick us up from school when we're in the second grade, or our you know, first boyfriend or our first girlfriend hurts us or breaks our heart, whatever that is, we create these interpretations to make sense of the actual event. The event itself is in and of, is in and of itself completely neutral, but the interpretations that we design to understand what's happening oftentimes don't serve and support us. Oftentimes it sounds like this, well, I'm unlovable. Well, I'm not worthy. Well, of course, dad forgot to pick me up from school. I don't, I don't matter as much as his career. Of course, my boyfriend dumped me. I'm not pretty enough or I'm not funny enough or I'm not popular. Whatever that is, the I'm not fill in the blank enough is oftentimes the interpretation that we generate, that we create, which then begins a lifelong of interpretations that don't serve us. So from the space of I'm not enough, comes the, well, I'm going to go ahead and date people and lower my standards because I just want to experience love. And I, I will lower my standards so that I can be in relationship. I can feel love, but it's not love. And it's like this whole endless cycle. You're trying to fill this void, but it really comes down to self-love. If you love yourself enough to do the work and you love yourself enough to confront the limiting beliefs and the fears and understand the source of the limitations and the fears and the lack of the self-worth, then that's when you start to really understand who you get to be in order to create the life that you want. That, that's beautiful. I'm over here learning so much. I'm trying to soak it all in. So <laughs> did you have mentors in your life that helped teach you these things or was it all a personal journey? I'm a lot of, a lot of it's personal journey, but of course I've been, I've been mentored by trainers who've been doing this work for 30 plus years. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough. Um, I don't want to say that. I don't believe in luck. Um, I've been committed enough to growing and deepening my my understanding of this specific kind of work to surround myself with people who are masters of what they do. And I've been mentored by them, you know, for the last nine years of my life. So I've been surrounded by the top experts of this work in the entire world. What blows my mind is just how, how many times you were able to reinvent yourself and kind of uproot and and how many places have you lived by the way because you've been talking about like new york and then i knew I yeah well so my parent well my mom my dad was living in australia my mom was living in was living in new york and she flew to australia for a photo shoot she had to learn how to ski my dad was her ski instructor uh and so that's how they met and then she like moved it's like a whole story but another another podcast but um but i yeah. actually did live in new york for a for about a month because i was training ben stiller on location for a movie um, when I was a trainer and he was my first private client. So I manifested people like that in my life. Um, and so I lived in New York, lived in Vancouver. I was born and raised in California. I lived in Los Angeles for 14 years, lived in Spain for seven months, moved back, lived in San Diego. Now I'm living in Austin. So I've uprooted my life many, many times and reinvented myself many, many times. What would you say was the hardest thing? I would say uh, the trauma from giving birth to my child was very challenging. Um, I had a very traumatic birth. Um, the healing was really intense. I completely lost my my identity of myself. I, I got to like rediscover who I am and this on the other side of motherhood. So that was really challenging, like that whole experience and journey, but like the, the payoff of course, of like having an amazing son who I love is just, I mean, I, I would do it all over again, even yeah. though it was, it was one of the most challenging things. But I would say 
the most challenging thing I've ever experienced was um, I was I was betrayed by one of my mentors, like one of the mentors I'm talking about. Um, he's like the best at what he does, and his his choices that he's made out of fear and scarcity. Um, he was also a business partner of mine, and so it it impacted our business relationship. He did some he did some things in our in in like the business world that like you just literally don't do in in this work um, that I do, and so it was really really challenging. It was very challenging. It was very painful, um, and and the the most challenging part was the manipulation, the gaslighting, the lying, um, the the way that it was twisted to have it look like I was being insecure and I was being crazy and I was being irresponsible when like, no, (laughs) I was being, I was being firm and like, this does not get to happen. And I made, I made this new business deal that he did with um, one of our competitors, very, very challenging for him because I, I, I put my foot down and said, this is absolutely does not get to happen. And even though he tried to make both work, it just, it's no. So, um, and had that whole thing been dealt dealt with from a place of responsibility and transparency and honesty and been forthcoming, it could have all looked so different. But because I found out about those things kind of through the grapevine and it wasn't directly brought to me, it was like a whole other level of, no, you don't get to do this. Yeah. So, but it was, it was business training 101. I mean, I learned like, exactly. wow, yeah. I get to have all of these, I get to have contracts. <laughs> okay. So great. I don't, get to, I don't get to do business deals with a handshake, like got it. So, yeah. um, so it was a big learning lesson, you know, like it was, it was honestly, that whole experience was more painful than, than, than my sexual trauma. So yeah. It, but it really strengthened me. It really, really had me develop a sense of grit as a businesswoman that I never had before. So I guess I can be, I can say I'm grateful for that. I don't know if this is correct, but I remember like in the past um, hearing you say, or, or you tell, told me or somebody, I don't know, that it was going to be hard for you to have kids, right? And you didn't know if you were going to be able to have kids. So here's what I want to say about that. My I prepared my body for a year and a half before we even started trying to have kids. And a lot of that was my own fear about, because I heard all these stories about how hard it is for how challenging it can be for the actual baby. If you are a diabetic mother and you're taking insulin, like it could be really dangerous for the baby if your blood sugar is consistently high, if your blood sugar consistently crashes. And so, you know, I was so obsessive about having my health be at a certain level um, making sure that I was working out consistently, making sure that I had like, I didn't have plastic anywhere near. I didn't need anything out of plastic. I didn't need, yeah. I mean, I was so obsessive compulsive about all the things. Um, so I think that there was, there are some benefits to that, but also the, the, the level at which I expected myself to be like showing up as a human being in order to get ready for the, I just, I made a bigger thing than it needed to be, honestly. Um, and I had great support from a doctor, a naturopath who supported me in taking all these different supplements. Um, it was also like a whole spiritual component. So she had me directly connecting to the spirit of my baby and like, and like feeling that connection and like making sure that I was consistently practicing that. Um, and that really supported me in, in kind of removing my fear. Cause I think mindset's a big thing. I mean, you hear this all the time where people are like trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying to get, they're like trying so hard. And then they're like, 
forget it. Let's just adopt. And then they get pregnant, you know, they, like, they adopt a kid and then they're like, we're also pregnant. Okay. Um, now we have two infants. So I think that mindset's a big thing. And, um, but I found myself being very fearful and it was really funny because I, I remember the moment that Jax was conceived like mm-hmm. we were on vacation I was not really following a diet I was kind of like whatever and all of my <laughs> supplements got soaked in liquid so they all were destroyed I had a breakdown I'm like I messed it all up and then it was fine so like I just let it go and <laughs> that's when we conceived him because I was like trying trying yeah. trying 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 to get pregnant I was trying to do, I was in the doingness of getting pregnant, right? Like I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't like having that connection. And so I kept focusing on the fact that it wasn't happening. We actively tried for three months before we actually did get pregnant. But the reason why I say all of this is because I think that, I mean, you look at, at babies, I mean, babies are resilient. And, and if you think about like, like crack babies, I mean, ba- yeah. mothers who literally do crack while they're pregnant are somehow, they give birth to somehow healthy, healthy ish babies. So it's like babies are resilient. So, you know, I, I, and, and Jax was born completely healthy. I mean, I had a really easy pregnancy. And so I think that the, the, the mindset is, is one of the most powerful components in all of it. The stories that we make up, especially if we're like, oh, it's dangerous to get pregnant. Oh, it's like, it's going to be hard. Well, if we believe that that's going to be true. So it's also connecting to the spirit of our baby and say, baby, like I am, I'm so ready to receive you. Like, I'm just, yep. I'm ready. And cause I, I found myself like, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm quite ready. And so I, I was creating this block. So I think that really making the choice to be open to receiving that for me and for anyone who's listening, no matter what it is that you're wanting to manifest in your life is to really be in the allowance of it, to be ready to be the vibrational frequency for the thing that you yep. want to call in. So my dad's a a doctor and when people come into his office, it's the uncertainty that gives people anxiety. When they walk into the office, they they know they're sick, but they don't know what they're sick with. And the uncertainty of not knowing is making them sicker, like Mm -hmm. physically and mentally, they're they're sad and they're sick. He said, you could tell them that they got, you know, the flu, they immediately feel better. You haven't prescribed them any medication yet, but they walk out of the office happy as can be you know you're still sick dude you're gonna be sick for a week probably you're still gonna throw up today but it's the uncertainty you know and just not knowing all these what ifs that they just circle around in our mind from day to day and it's just Mm -hmm. what if this what if that what if this what if that and eventually those spiraling self-doubts and all these things they make us quit they make us give up so I don't want to make you like talk about anything that you don't want to talk about it, but I'll talk about anything. Literally, you can ask me any question. There's nothing I want to talk about. For me personally, just going to a lot of schools and uh, speaking to a lot of kids, and I talk to them afterwards one-on-one and we have in-depth conversations. I promise you at at least 80 to 85% of every school that I've ever gone to afterwards, I talked to a little girl who's been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. That really opened my eyes at a really young age that like this is every like if this is just the one or two girls that come up to me out of a crowd of a thousand, like how many others? The majority of children are molested or raped or taken advantage of um, sexually. Um, Then there's also, you know, so many different kinds of abuse. There's mental, there's emotional, there's physical, there's sexual um, and it's, it's one of the things that brings me the most pain as a leader, because I, I know this and I'm also, I mean, I was, I was molested when I was six years old, I was raped when I was 29. So I experienced it as a child and I also experienced it when as, as an adult, um, 
And what's really interesting about, about this is it's a cycle that's been going on for thousands of years. I mean, it is, and you look at like, not to get political or, or religious, but I mean, there's just the facts. I mean, you look at like the, the Catholic church and what's happening there, yet it's, it's like this big, powerful machine that keeps going. And somehow it's like, it's just kind of forgotten about. It's like, oops, um, it's, a, it's a lot of people who are really high up in power have the ability to perpetuate the cycle in the same way they have the, the ability to end the cycle. And so any of us who are sexually abused, we, it, and what I, and I don't, there's a way that I understand this, that when I've explained it before really triggers people because, and especially people who are still kind of in the victim mentality of like this thing happened to me. Um, I believe that we were responsible for everything, not saying that doesn't mean that it's my fault. That doesn't mean that I am to blame for it, but I'm responsible for the interpretation that I can have of the whole thing. So as a six-year-old child, how, how can I be responsible for that? Um, and what I want to say about that is it's really the interpretation that I'm responsible for. And I found, I had so much shame about that. I didn't have the tools to be emotionally intelligent enough to understand what had happened. But now as an adult and somebody who has supported people in, in releasing a lot of their trauma in reinventing the story that they tell about their trauma, what I know is that something was happening to this little boy. He was a little boy who molested me in my first grade class. Literally we're in our classroom and I'm wearing a skirt and he put his hand under my, under my skirt, under my underwear and completely molested me. And I was, fr I was frozen. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I was terrified. And I didn't want to get him in trouble. And that was the biggest thing is like, I just, I, and, and I've done so many different processes where I would relive that moment. And like, if I could do it differently, what would I do? Well, I would, I would stand up, I would shout, I would scream, I would do all these yeah. things. But my reaction, my response in that moment was what it was. And so in my forgiveness, I was able to really understand that he, as a little boy, knew what he was doing. How did he know what he was doing? Well, more than likely, something was happening to him at home. Someone that he yeah. trusted was showing him to do whatever it was that he was doing. And so I am in a place of forgiveness and, and deep compassion for him. Um, because if I, if I feel like I'm, I'm a victim of that experience, then that experience has my power. That little boy who's now a grown man has my power. So I've made the choice to forgive that little boy who molested me when I was six every single day. Um, how am I responsible for being, for you know, my, my whole experience of being raped when I was 29? I was, I was not being responsible with my body. I drank too much. Um, and had I been responsible with my body, like I drank an insane amount of alcohol. It does not make it okay what he did. It doesn't make it excusable. It doesn't make it understandable. I was not taking care of myself. I was not putting myself in a place where I could defend myself. Um, and I, I was, I woke up. I mean, I was completely passed out and somebody was raping me while I was, while I was passed out. And so it's not my fault. I'm not to blame for it. But had I been responsible with myself, I would not have been put in that position. Again, it does not make it okay. It does not make it excusable. But how I'm responsible for it on the other side of that experience is 
wow, I really get to make sure that I'm honoring my body and my health and my wellness and all of those things to make sure that I'm not put in positions like that ever again. Also to every single day, practice forgiveness to forgive him because I can't even imagine having the thought to do that to somebody else and have that be a thought that was generated from something else other than it happened to him, other than his power was taken away from him when he was a little boy and he's trying to get his power back. I don't know what his story is, but I do know that that hurt people hurt people. He was not a mentally sound um, person to even have the thought or the consciousness to do that to a woman who has passed out, whether she's drinking too much or simply asleep. It doesn't matter. So I've been in the consistent practice of I get to forgive those two individuals for those things happening because if I stay stuck and wrapped up in in that whole thing then I become a victim of it and that becomes a part of my consciousness so I believe that people who don't ever break that chain then become abusers themselves and and it's like we all have the ability and the capacity to do the thing like the worst things because we're all human beings we all have free will we all have choices and so it's really up to us to break that cycle, to be in the practice of forgiveness, to be responsible with those interpretations and, and those experiences that are not contributing to what we're here to actually cause and create, that's up to us. And so that's when responsibility really takes a, you know, a, a, like a, a driver's seat in my car, so. Yeah, to me, I think responsibility is just another word for your purpose, like it gives you purpose or responsibility. Yep. And what I'm gathering from your story right there is really, it's not the situation that makes us who we are. It's the interpretation of the situation that makes us who we are. I think that shift of perspective right there will allow a lot of people to pick out the positivity within a lot of things that were painful, a lot of things that were bad, and they considered them to be mistakes or, or things that they did wrong or that went wrong. They can look back now and they can say, oh, because that happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and now I am who I am. Mm -hmm. It may be hard for somebody that's not happy with who they are at this current moment, you know? So they're at a different stage. They're, they're kind of at the stage where they're not really looking back. I think you should look around, right? A lot of us kind of think from day to day, we're like counting all the things that we don't have, all the people that right. aren't in our lives. We could shift the perspective in the current present, in the current moment right now and start counting all the blessings that we do have. A lot of people think that what they have is not a big deal or it's not much, but what you have could be a lot to somebody else. A, a couple of weeks ago, just to give you one quick example, I was talking to a little girl that told me her story like out loud for I think was the first time in her entire life. And it made me realize that we tell our stories a lot, but to ourselves in our heads and we let our own thoughts justify our emotions and the way that we're feeling, you know? And if you say it out loud, if you tell somebody, you talk to somebody, you're able to actually see your story from a different angle, another perspective. And the little girl was mad at her mom. She was angry at her mom. And by the end of the story, she was thankful and she loved her mom. And she actually said, I'm gonna go home and have this conversation with my mom because if anybody knows how I feel, it'd be her. Because she was able to take her life and relate it to her mom's life just by saying it out loud, just by telling the truth telling her truth mm -hmm. and it made her see the whole picture she found clarity I didn't I didn't say anything so I just let her talk I was just listening and I think that's a, amazing to somebody that's watching your story right now watching you tell your story so freely when I asked you 
uh, hey, I don't, if you don't want to talk about this, you don't have to. You're like, I'll talk about anything. I think that that's that's the reason you are who you are today. I will talk about anything. That 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 line is just the the line that makes you who you are, and that's why people are drawn to you. So before we quit this thing, before we finish it up, I, I really now that you're a mother and you and you you have a kid and you're looking at this kid grow every single day, what are the key things that you are going to try your best to instill in them? Yeah, that, you know, he, I, I believe in him so much. And uh, one of the first things I ever said to him when he was born was, you can be anything, you can do anything, and you can have anything. And not like you can have whatever toys you want. That's not what I was saying at all. But <laughs> like, you can literally have whatever it is that you desire in this lifetime. And, and just to really instill that belief in him that um, I want him to feel like he has infinite amounts of support from us to be the stewards of his life, not the dictators of his life. Like we really want to empower him to make choices that, that, you know, he wants to make and he's going to make choices that are not the best and we're going to love him anyway. Um, you know, Brad, my husband, he's a, he's played soccer his whole life and we're now seeing so Brad of course is like excited that he had a son and he's just soccer and like he may not be a soccer player like he may be he may be an artist and I can hear him at the door he may be an artist like he may you know be a painter he may be like he loves hip-hop by the way so he may hey. be one of his mentors so hey. you never know so we just we fully we fully you know appreciate whatever his interests are and we just really want to be the wind beneath his wings and and, and step back and let him make the choices that he wants to make. But really at the end of the day, it's like he can, he can do anything. What were you taught about life? Something that you lived a lot of your life with it in the back of your mind. One of the most powerful pieces of advice I've ever been given, don't ever do it for the money. Whatever it is that you're doing, don't do it for the money. Do it because it fuels your soul. Do it because it lifts you up. Do it because you're passionate about it. And when you are living your soul assignment, when you're living the very thing that you're here to cause and create and, and fulfill, the money will always come. Of course, there gets to be strategy and all that with it. But if you do something specifically just for the money, that thing that you used to be passionate about is then going to become something that you're resentful for and resentful towards. Um, so keep your passions close to you and do things because you love them, not because they're going to bring you money. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having and me. And for anybody that wants to reach out or, or learn about anything that you're putting on, any masterminds or whatever, how, where can they find your website and everything else like that? I'll link I, it below. I'm but. super easy to find. I'm the only Jenna Phillips Ballard in the entire universe. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my website, of course, as well. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you.